Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Baba, You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Bible, you're drunk. Um, the podcast where we talk about the Bible, all the things we learned in Sunday school, and uh, whether or not they were good or bad, or you know, somewhere in the middle. I feel like the Bible is mostly extremes. Anyway, I'm Tori. Uh, I'm a Bible school dropout, and I went to church for most of my life, several decades, three of them to be specific. And um, yeah, I was homeschooled, so we read the Bible all all the goddamn time and uh i have i just have feelings about it and so this is where i process those feelings <laughs> anyway i have a co-host yes uh my name is justin i i also have a lot of feelings about the bible <laughs> as someone who studied it professionally and and told people to believe in it professionally for many years i have a lot of conflicted feelings about how i made what little dollars I made doing that. And so, and so now I tear all that down (laughs) by being honest about the Bible. Um, we are very, I think I feel like we don't make fun of the Bible. We just lay out what it says. What's in there. Yeah. We just talk about what's in there without the evangelical goggles anymore. And we find out what's there. Um, so that's, that's what we do on this podcast. It's mostly, not scripted. We, we have a framework, but we meander in between. So get ready, get a drink in hand, and we'll have a yep. good time. We yep. have with us a wonderful guest today who's going to introduce themselves. I'm Brad Onishi. Uh, I am uh, the co-host of Straight White American Jesus, which is another irreverent podcast. And uh, I'm a um, former evangelical, just like everyone here, and uh, was a uh, the worst kind of, of evangelical, and that was a youth pastor. So I was a youth pastor at a mega church, which is the most hated category of any evangelical, I think. Um, stayed in the religion game, became a religious studies professor, and uh, so, you know, no longer an evangelical, but definitely still sort of, uh, you know, it, every day into the questions of scripture and meaning of life and faith and what does it all mean and blah 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 so anyway that's me all right so um we are very excited to have uh brad on the pod as a guest co-host uh especially this week because there is a lot of straight white american jesusing going on this week like an obscene amount like 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 two 
to a degree to which I have not seen in a long time. Uh, so this week, uh, this podcast is being recorded, I think, uh, on September 2nd, uh, yeah. the day after the Supreme Court decided to go, you know what? Bounties on pregnant women is okay. And effectively overturning Roe v. Wade in the state of Texas and the way the law is written, effectively overturning Roe v. Wade in other places as well. Um, and we will get into that. This podcast will release a little bit later than that, but I'm sure the conversation is going to be ongoing over the coming weeks and months and maybe even years as we figure out how to grapple with a the world as it is now in the United States. Yeah. So I'm going to turn it over to either Tori or Brad just to kind of vent some feelings and then we'll we'll see if we can land in a spot that's hopeful. And if not, we'll just take a drink and that's fine. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, like I, I grew up on on anti-abortion propaganda. Um, you know, my I remember my mom took me everybody, all the women at church were um, doing a screening of the silent scream. Um, and I was I couldn't read because I remember I couldn't read like the names or like anything that was going on. And also back then you couldn't, you couldn't really see anything in ultrasound pictures. So it's just like these gray, like black and gray and white random things. And, you know, so it was like, it was that. And then my mom went all the way in on this like quote unquote partial birth abortion. And so she was like, look, this is bad. This is evil. And I, I sincerely believed that I would always be pro-life, right? In, in like the evangelical sense, like anti-abortion, basically. Um, not so far that like, I don't care if there are more abortions because we make abortion illegal. I was not like that. I was like, we can reduce the number of abortions. Like I'm all the way here for that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was, I really sincerely believe that like that I was going to be like anti-abortion my entire life. And thankfully I had a really incredible friend who um came to church with us a couple times and was like this is bullshit and just left (laughs) but we stayed connected on Facebook and so um yeah yeah and she she worked in this neuroscience lab and like every time something about abortion would come up I would just ping her and be like hey can you please explain this to me like I really want to understand why people are saying this like why are people, you know, why are people saying that like a fetus can feel pain at 18 weeks or whatever? And, and, and having the background that she has, like, she was actually able to explain like fetal brain development to me. Um, so I, I, like, I felt really, really lucky and, you know, and then I eventually got pregnant and I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Abortions. Like this shit is awful. (laughs) Um, I wanted to die. Like, that's how depressed I was. I was sick all day, every single day uh, for months, three, four months. So um, I was like, oh, I I see why people don't want to do this if they have no support. Like, why would you want to do this if you have no support? I feel like I'm dying and I have a support system. (laughs) Um, Which is just like, it's just the really frustrating thing about like the pro-life, anti-choice people um, is that they see pregnancy as like, not even like a side gig it's like a hobby right mm-hmm. and not something that takes up like all of the resources from your entire fucking body um 
And so it doesn't have any value. Like pregnancy has no value to them whatsoever. And it has no, it has no value to the economy. It has no value to like them as individuals. It has no value to communities. Um, You know, it's just, it's something you can do in your free time, which is just, if you have been pregnant, that is not true. Mm. Um, And that was really, that was kind of like the turning point for me. Honestly, it was like, it's, you can't, you can't force someone. This is, this is labor. This is nine months of constant labor, which is about three years worth of 40 hour work weeks. And you're telling me that is worth nothing. Like you're telling, and that you get to force me to do that, right? You get to mm-hmm. force me to do three years worth of 40 hour work weeks because you want to just fucking leave me in the street. If that's, if I have nowhere to go and you know, again, like it has no value to you at all. So yeah, I think that that was kind of, you know, it was, it was, it was a progression, but I'm really grateful that I had people to reach out to, to ask. Right. And I began to realize like, as I, you know, my second pregnancy, I was like, Oh, all of this stuff that they're posting on Facebook is like straight up like lies, right? Like they post these little things about like, oh, a baby at 12 weeks looks like this and is this big. And they're always exaggerating by at least a month. Like it's always at least a month down the line in the little memes that they share. Um, And yeah, it's like, oh, babies can feel pain at like 18, 19, 20 weeks. No, they can't. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, there are, there are obviously going to be physical reactions, but, but the, the connectivity, like the brain connectivity isn't there. It's not online. So that's not how that works. Um, so having like having actual information was really what got me out of that, that whole pit. And so with, and, and, and we knew, right. This was always the goal was to overturn Roe v. Wade. You know, I knew that as a toddler, basically, mm-hmm. um, like they, they weren't, they weren't shy about it. And it was like, yeah, as soon as we get the Supreme court set up the way that we want it to be set up, like this shit's over, we're done. Um, and I guess they did it. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's interesting because there's been, there was an article like three weeks ago that, that I responded to that said, you know, abortion isn't moving the needle anymore for evangelicals and for other like Christian fundamentalists and conservatives and stuff. And um, you would never know it given the reactions, I think, if you, if you look on social media today and just how certain corners of the internet are reacting to this. For me, it it really brought it like I know that the natural place to go is the 1960s and like sexual revolution and women's rights movements and the civil rights movements were all sort of the catalyst for um, just a lot of things coming from, uh, you know, evangelical spaces and other conservative religious spaces. One of them was this idea, uh, you know, that had not been present before, which is that abortion is this, is is just a, a binary issue that is always a sin. Like if you go to the 1960s, it's something like 90% of, of Texas Baptists uh, believe that abortion in some form is a good thing and should be legal. Uh, 70% of, of Southern Baptist ministers in Texas see uh, some form of abortion as appropriate and a good thing for um, the mother and uh, for society at large. We've come a long way since then, of course. Um, and and to me, it's always interesting to to try to like tell people that this is the result of a political operation, not not Christian doctrine from 2000 years of, of church history. And then the other thing is like the 1860s of like um, the 18, you know, I, when I think of when I think of Texas and the South, um, and I know there's complex histories there, but 
like pro-slavery theologies were patriarchal theologies and they were family values theologies. Like when people say family values, I'm like, yeah, we've been doing family values with Christians since 1810, 1820, 1830, when they were defending slavery because uh, slaves were part of the family. And there was a white man at the top who controlled uh, the children and um, the enslaved people and the women. Right. And so when like when we get this kind of like there's a bounty on people's heads now, um, it just brings me back to that. Like this is there's there's just this like deep, deep, deep desire for patriarchal control um, that has been intertwined with race and, and gender since, you know, this country's existed. But um, 1960s. Yeah. 1860s. Also. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what I'm thinking about today. So, yeah, anyway. I I find it interesting that these shifts were within living memory of our grandparents. And that is what I don't understand because I all of my grandparents are extremely pro-life, you know, extremely, you know, they voted for Donald Trump because he was pro-life. Uh, most awkward Thanksgiving I've ever been in was when my grandpa was praying over Thanksgiving dinner and thanking God for Donald Trump because he's going to stem the tide of the slaughter was what my grandpa said right before we ate turkey, you know? And like all of us kind of opened our eyes and looked at each other like, oh, grandpa being silly. But like, it's, I it's I don't know how they were able to capture that generation and other generations too, but particularly the generation that grew up believing abortion was fine. Grew up believing abortion was not a problem and that, the God was actually for it. You know, Billy Graham defended family planning and, and Planned Parenthood to a certain extent. And I'm not, not Planned Parenthood itself, but just like the idea that we would have planned family planning would be a part of the fabric of America. He thought that was a good thing. And yeah. then, you know, they just kind of pulled this bait and switch. And all of a sudden it was like, well, the teaching uh, and, of Christians since the very beginning, all the way back to Jerusalem in the Old Testament, was anti-abortion. And, and that's manifestly not true looking at the scriptures at all or history, but that is what they believe. And there is nothing. Like you cannot, I shouldn't say nothing because I think all of us came out of that in some way, but it's, it is such a sticky idea that like, you just can't, you can't get through that. And yeah, I, I can show reason and logic. I can show scientific studies. I can show all of these things that say no, like, yeah, babies don't feel, you know, or fetuses don't feel pain. I even use their language. The baby in the womb doesn't right. feel pain. You know, I'll, I'll try. I'll the un do, unborn person. The unborn person, whatever you want to say. And I'll, I'll point to the times in the Bible where God killed an unborn baby or commanded the Israelites to kill unborn babies. And they're like, uh, that doesn't, that you know, it's like it, you you can't get through, and it's just been this reckless drive to overturn Roe v. Wade, and it's mm -hmm. like, how do you even stop it, honestly? Because they just are rapidly pursuing this, even in the midst of a pandemic. You know, the Texas legislature is spending its time and its energy overturning Roe v. Wade. Why? I, I, I it's it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around how this happened. And why it is just such a entrenched theology. Um, yeah, it's 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 mind-boggling to me. We're gonna talk about Job tonight. And so 
uh, it's fortuitous in the sense that I think there's a lot of ways to talk about what we just talked about, Justin, in terms of um, God smiting Job and that meaning his children. Um, and and it, it's a really good example of what you're saying is like, you know, uh, let's talk about family values. Let's do it. Let's do it. And uh, I think what we're going to find in Job is um, is something a little bit surprising when it comes to that whole family's family values, anti-abortion uh, kind of rhetoric. It, it's it's actually not a great text if that's where you want to land. So anyway, we'll we'll get there in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, before we get there, though, we do have a couple uh, items of business that we want to do, and that is we have two new patrons. Um, at our youth pastor tier. And if you've listened to us before at the youth pastor tier, you get, or, and above, you get a life verse, a verse where we just, you know, go to a random page and we give you life verse. Cause you know, the Bible, the Bible still speaks folks. And every word is just bathed in the, the juice of God. And this is going to be good for you. So Tori's going to do this one tonight. Uh, this is going to be uh, Hentron. Um, he, um, yes, I think it, I think it is a he. I should just say they for all of these. Uh, Hentron is going to get their life verse, and Tori is going to be the one that flips I'm through the Bible. Out, I'm giving out the the life verses because you know yes. the Holy Spirit and stuff or yeah. things. Yeah, the Holy Spirit works. It's it's my calling. It's, it's not just, just my gift. It's not just my Bible. It's all Bibles. Like, no, I'm the witch of Endor, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Some people listening to this might not actually know what that is. We need to do that fucking story. Yeah, we need to we need to get a witch on the pod to do the witch of Endor. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, sweet. All right. I'm going to just um, flip around here and figure out where where the Lord wants me, wants me to land. Um, okay. Let's do. Okay. Here we go. Uh, it says his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. The word of Hell God. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good one. I mean, that that's, a good one. that's a good verse. What it's, was the it's reference? In numbers. It's oh, numbers, numbers, okay. numbers seven, um, 31. So, so Hentron number 731 is your verse. Yep. Yep. All right. We also have one for Duncan. If you want to give Duncan, Dun Duncan their life verse. Yeah, for sure. This is this is really exciting for me. This is like our first two timer on the podcast. Two yeah. life verses at the same time. Okay, here we go. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Oh, that's, amen yeah. amen amen where is that one yeah. found <laughs> i totally just slammed my bible shut when <laughs> i was like clear. amen like this service is i guess I've, I've preached too many sermons that like that's the thing that i do at the end is just like done. the bible shut so well you'll just have to <laughs> we'll find it and then I'll, yeah. I'll just yeah i'll just give it to you when i get to it all right <laughs> <laughs> well while she's looking on a reference for duncan's bible verse um, I will go ahead and introduce our drinking game for the evening. Ooh, um, exciting. so, uh, this evening, I don't know, uh, Brad, are you drinking this evening at all? I'm not. I, um, I have a, a very pregnant partner. And so in solidarity, I have, I have foregone the, the drink for a while. 
Excellent. Aww, well, congratulations. So and that's good. I, I'm actually also foregoing the drink. Um, I'm, I'm drinking an herbal mushroom tea. So um, not good shit. Not, not the good shit. Not the good shit. This is, this is a Rishi, <laughs> not a Cubensis. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather as I have the last couple of weeks. And so I'm, Aww. I'm going to take, I'm going to take it my health seriously. Uh, I have taken the COVID test, wiped my in, inside of my nose and I'm, I'm not positive. So. So you're negative. Mm-hmm. I'm the actually good, drinking the good, the good one, the good one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The good. <laughs> I mean, it's positive in what did he say? It's positive. Yeah. In a I negative got the negative, which, which is, you know, positive in a negative direction. I don't know, whatever, whatever what he said. Okay. Uh, so for tonight's drinking game, uh, whether you're drinking an herbal tea or a shot of tequila, uh, I, yeah, I th- actually, I think let's go with the family values thing. Every time that God uh, violates evangelical family values, um, oh man, go ahead and take a drink, and you know, you it might, you might, uh, you might be drunk in about two minutes. Yeah, give up the keys right now. <laughs> you need a DD. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. a driver. Yeah. Get lift on the way. Yep. <laughs> Seriously. Be safe. Yeah. Take, take the lift to work today. <laughs> yeah. Cancel work tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right, Brad. So go ahead, take it away. And we will, uh, we'll talk about Job. So I, when y'all invited me, I was really torn because part of me wanted to do Song of Song, Song of Song, Song of Solomon. And I know that that's a favorite and one that people are going to pick. And I wanted to do it because forever I've had, um, the ambition, and I'm going to give this away for free. I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to give it away to just have a Tinder account where I just like, um, only respond with, um, verses from song of Solomon's chapters three and four. So somebody matches with me on Twitter and they say, Hey, you know, what's up? And I write back, your hair is like a flock of goats, you know, and we just see what happens. Right. Or you're going to get suspended for harassment. um, you know, somebody's oh, like, you know, I really like uh, your profile pic. And I'm like, I like yours, too, because your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate, you know. So I've just I've, I've really like wanted to. <laughs> um, so there's no there's no Song of Solomon. We're going to do Job. I have a soft spot for Job because I think um, it's a great setup piece. So here's how I think Job's a setup piece in the book of Job, chapter one. Verse one, it says this, there once was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There was born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's houses, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was great. Okay, so... One of the things that we hear all the time about family values is that the nuclear family is the only kind of family that God approves of, okay? Even to the point where, like, there are evangelicals who will tell you that if you have an extended family structure where, like, you know, grandparents are living in in the, like, uh, in the basement or the backyard or the spare room and you all are doing this intergenerational thing, it's like, no, 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 no. It's the nuclear family, right? The nuclear family has become this, like, divine you know, unit, uh, in evangelical spaces. And my response is always like, look, cool. Let's just do the Bible. Cause I want to learn about this nuclear family. That sounds promising. So we got father Abraham 
And, uh, you know, we all know what happened there. Sort of impregnated another woman and then basically sent her and, and son away and was like, I'm good. I don't need you. So that nuclear family is a little bit of a mixed family slash something else. I mean, you know, we have a child who's being like, you're, uh, you're not part of the covenant. So see you later, Ishmael. Uh, no child support, no alimony, no weekend visits, no going to Chuck E. Cheese on Wednesday night. Just get the, you know, get the hell out of here. Okay. Didn't work out with Abraham very well. Bummer. Um, we talk about King David, right? Hero of the Hebrew Bible. You know, the greatest man in, in the nation of Israel, who we all know. Uh, was spying on a woman uh, in, in a completely un inappropriate and uh, just... Predatory way. Of course, like the most disgusting way. And then doubles down by just, I don't know, having her husband killed so that he can then become her partner. Yeek, not going great so far, um, you know, with this whole nuclear family. And God killed the child. God killed the Oh, God. God killed the yeah. child. That yep. Right. That was what well, was not born. The unborn child of this union was killed by God uh, because 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 of David, because the sin of the father. Yeah. Oh, like in interesting. Yeah. Like we're really having a hard time with our new and we're getting to the place where it seems like God is not necessarily pro-life in every instance. OK, mm -hmm. so let's do Solomon. Why is this man in Israel? Love Solomon. Proverbs supposedly wrote those, you know, just a smart ass dude when when was supposed to, you know, ask God for one thing. He asked for wisdom, happened to have like hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. So, all right. No nuclear this is, family. This there is the either. nuclear family that I want for my life. Yeah. yeah <laughs> hundreds like, of wives and yeah, hundreds I, of concubines. I would also like a biblical family. Yes. Where do I get on that list? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know. Not necessarily the two kids, uh, the dog and the picket fence and some, you know, crocs and uh, a ride on mower. We don't have that shit happening yet. Right. OK, so let's do the New Testament. Let's do it. Right. Like yes. that was the old. Time. No. You know, we got Jesus, uh, you know, single. He's a weirdo. With, yeah. Hung out with mostly men and mm -hmm. uh, women who, um, you know, were whispered about be uh, in, in behind their backs about uh, their morality and their being, you know, whatever. OK. So Jesus, no nuclear family. I mean, he had to die for everyone's sins. It was a lot. So maybe he just wasn't going to be a good family man anyway. All right. So Paul, like, you know, maybe had a wife, but then he, he went from that whole murdering, you know, Christians to be becoming one thing. And so he either ditched her or he never had one in the first place. And then mm -hmm. in first Corinthians seven, he's like, yo, stay single. That's better. If you're like mature, like me, you'll be single. If you're weak and you need to have the sex, go ahead. But that's the only way reason to get married is like, cause you're weak and you need the sex. Otherwise just, you know, come on, man, just be single, bro. Okay. okay. This isn't going great. This is not going great. I haven't found the nuclear family yet. I haven't found it, but you know what? We got it. Job. Job is it. We have Job, the upright man with 10 kids. They all love him. He's a good dad. Apparently he, I think in verse you know, 17 of chapter two, it talks about how he coaches the youth soccer team. He uh, barbecues. He doesn't yell a lot. This is good. All right, Job, we're doing it. Great. What happens in this one nuclear family that we found? Very quickly, right? The devil's like, hey, God, he only, he only serves you because you're good to him. Let's see what happens when, when uh, things go bad, right? And so, you know, Satan's talking to God and, and God's like, all right. Let's see what happens here. So 
God allows Satan, in essence, to strike down all of Job's things, his sheep and his his stuff, including his 10 children. Mm -hmm. So we just found the nuclear family that we've been for. We've been we'd searching. We couldn't find it. We got Paul out here being single. Jesus out here being single. We got people sleeping with other people's wives. We got these people with hundreds of concubines. I mean, God knows what Solomon did in his life. That's like, I mean, seriously, you, you think like Led Zeppelin shit back in the day. What did, what did Solomon do? What kind of nights were going on there? Oh, he my was Lord. Right busy. <laughs> yeah. Busy. I mean, you know, he needed some tea with some extra mushrooms in there. To, you know, I mean, and so the thing for me, and I'll be quiet now, is we finally found it that you all keep telling me about. And you know what God did? He allowed those little kids who did nothing. So let's just flip the switch. I don't want to talk about Job. I want to talk about one of those daughters and one of those kids. They didn't do a damn thing. They didn't do a damn thing. Mm -hmm. And they got caught up in a pissing contest between God and Satan. And now they lost their life. So talk to me again. Go ahead. Tell me about being pro-life. Tell me about caring about every little baby and every little fetus and every little life. Tell me again about how every one of those little precious children matters. Because there was a little kid there who had done nothing. And they lost their life because God and Satan were in a little bit of a tiff and they were collateral damage. So, yeah. you know, anyway, all right, I'll be, I'm sorry. Yeah. I got excited. I'll be, I'll be quiet. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's a good that's one. Good. And it's like, I think that, I think, yeah, God is a lot like the U S military. And then it's like, well, if some kids die, you know, we had to do the thing. So mm -hmm. it happens. Shit happens. They'll be fine. Uh, they go to heaven. So yeah. it, it yeah. doesn't if you matter. Kill, if you kill them early enough, they go to heaven. <laughs> Yeah, I can't, I can't. I'm laughing at this stuff, and it's so fucking morbid mm -hmm. <laughs> and like horrifying. But like, yeah. it's it's so weird because it's like this is literally what we were taught as children. Mm -hmm. Even yeah, this is what we were taught. This is our theology, right? Yeah. It was like somehow God was pro life, and also, bang bang, little child, you are dead. Like somebody's gonna cut you in half. Somebody's gonna come after you in the middle of the night. You're just yeah. gonna die because your dad, you know, he was pretty cool with God, and God was like, well, fuck that dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the, the thing I, this keeps coming up in our discussions of evangelical theology is that the ends justify the means. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter who gets hurt. It doesn't matter who dies as long as, as God is glorified, I guess, in, in the way that they understand God to be glorified, then, then it does not matter how many people it hurts, how many children die. Yeah. Um, and, but the interesting thing is though, the second that we talk positively about abortion, they're like, well, you just want to murder babies. It's so like, there's, there is no consistency. I've kind of given up on there being a consistent morality uh, in the scriptures or amongst the people that quote unquote, take them seriously. Um, and, and Job is a fascinating book to me because yeah, there's this pissing match. And then there's this pissing match, uh, you know, amongst all the friends, yep. you know, they get around and they're trying to figure out, Job, how did you screw up? Yep. How did you mess up to deserve this? And as I understand the book of Job, it really ends with like bad shit happens and there's not a reason. And that's actually not a bad morality, honestly, given the time. But I feel like evangelicals are stuck with the friends of like, mm. nah, something's wrong. Like if you're poor, 
it's because you don't have your life together. Or if you're, you know, not as, you know, affluent or not, or if you don't have children, even, you Mm -hmm. know, it's Mm -hmm. because it's because you, you've somehow sinned. And if we figured that out, we'd be fine. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, my youth pastor uh, was having multiple affairs and he was found out like, so, the, okay. So this is going to be the most nineties evangelical story. Sorry. Okay. I, I feel like I need to back up okay. for a second. I realized okay. where it was going and I was like, Oh, wait, I got to set this up. Better. I am. I hope there's a disc man coming. Is there a disc man in this story? <laughs> no, but it doesn't, okay. but it does involve the power team. Oh God. So, oh fuck. Are you serious? Yes. 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 Okay. So, go ahead. So our church was going to have the power team visit like no. in like a couple months and a few months before that's when my youth pastors, all of his affairs like came out and they were like, Oh, thank God. We found out to get the sin out of the camp to make way for the power team. Like that was just like, their like big, huge, like thing, like, you know, like, we have God has 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 arranged for this to be the thing that got the sin out of the camp, so that the power team could come and save so many people. Did like, okay? Did was was the pastor? Did they stay on? No, they, they did just not. repented. They, okay, okay, I was curious. No, they, they, he he was fired. Um, okay. for that. Um, and, and you know he's he's doing fine now. Uh, this was many many years ago. So here's here's the fun addendum to that. So while the power team is there, like preaching, they're preaching, you know, this dude uh, who's like the head of the power team, which if you haven't like recent Googled the power oh team my recently, God. Oh my God. the amount of like fraud and like lies that went surrounded the power team. Anyway, so he talked, he's talking all this bullshit about how he prayed to God about this land that he owned and the government found these prehistoric plants that no one's ever seen before and gave him this life-changing amount of money. And if you basically follow God or donate to the power team, I don't know, uh, you'll get that too. Like all of it was lies, all of it. Like, but all these people were like, yay, we got the set out of the camp, got the power team here. Like a bunch of like fraudsters, like fleecing these people for money, you know? Anyway, like oh my this, God. this whole like sin in the camp, I- like we, we will be better if we can get ourselves more pure, quote unquote, is just, <laughs> So like, uh, it's just bullshit. Yeah. And it was a sad story because this was my youth pastor. You know, I definitely wrestled with feelings, but it was also like, I remember like years later, I went all the stuff about the power teams coming out. I'm like, like, seriously, like, yeah. Yeah. you thought that this was the magic thing. We're going to get the sin out of the camp or whatever, which is like, (laughs) whatever. Like, so, well, I mean, I think one of the things that happens, like, so I can, I can imagine one response to Job. Um, and, and, and Job's ch- children dying and someone saying, well, original sin, once you come into the world, you are depraved and fallen. And, you know, the, the Calvinist reformed Theo bro is like, as soon as you enter the world, you're, you're a sinful fallen, uh, uh, being, et cetera. And I guess for me, like we can take that on its face if we want, but I, I'm like a lot more interested in what that does for you. So like, if I say that all human beings are sinful once they enter the world and I'm just like obsessed with the quote unquote unborn, I mean, it really frees me up from having to care in any uh, robust sense about anyone who is born embodied, right? If you are born embodied, 
I can I can wipe you theologically off my register very quickly while then holding up the sort of mythical unborn as the angels that need defending at all costs. And it's a great trick because it really accomplishes a lot. You don't have to care about um, the, the, the outcast, the poor, the vulnerable. You don't have to care about those bodies that you deem um, dirty or polluted or, the, or, or undesirable. You don't have to care about people who have the kinds of bodies that you don't want or you find um, you know, repulsive. And so to me, right, you can see the response. Well, Job's kids were born and that means they were sinful and God can do whatever God wants. But it's like, okay, I'm just, I'm just not going to buy the pro-life thing in that uh, every little, every little bitty baby counts and every little life counts when, um, the only time I can find this nuclear family is in Job and all 10 of the kids God allows Satan to kill. Like, sorry. Um, it's just, this is just not going to hold up. Uh, in the way you want it to. No, not at all. And First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. It, honestly, if you were going to take Calvinism to its extreme, we should have more abortions. And you get you all know, the babies to heaven. Because then all, those, bang, bang, you know, all those little babies go to heaven. And Problem then, solved. We've saved so many souls for the Lord, you guys. Yeah. Like, you know, all, all of the, all of the people that you didn't teach proper sex ed in high school are going to be, you know, the biggest evangelists for the Lord getting those abortions because they're going to be putting those souls right into heaven, just a straight deposit into heaven. And, and so they don't have to be born then and sin, you know, and of course their whole age of accountability thing, which is, again, is totally made up because and it's a good thing to make up because they recognize hell is absolutely abhorrent. Sending a yeah. child to hell is absolutely abhorrent. So we're going to say, ah, uh, age of accountability. Yeah, that's uh, what. And then you ask what age is it is. I'm like, mm, when Gosh, they're sure. responsible. I'm like, <laughs> so never for me. Yeah, it's like, I'm, pu- <laughs> I'm pushing 40 and I have not reached the age of accountability. <laughs> Like, <laughs> oh God. so yeah that so they're, they're like almost have to glom on all this nebulous weird theology just to kind of come up with something that uh, allows you to function in the world um yeah. and not be a complete moral monster um but it, it still comes out that way right and it was i mean it was never about abortion obviously it was about power um, accumulating power. And they felt like this was, this was the way that they could do that. Um, you know, and it, it took them a long time, 50 years, basically, and they pulled it off. So, and what's interesting is they never, they never for a second doubted that they would. That's what's so interesting to me is they're like, we're going to make this happen come hell or high water. Like we will burn this mother down. If you mm-hmm. like, they were just, they were just okay with it. Like, okay, whatever. Voting rights, meh. Nobody cares about that. Civil rights, fuck no. We don't do that anymore. Like, it, But it was never about abortion. Abortion was just like the Trojan horse, essentially, to get them to like their 
theological, mythical Christian America. Yeah, like you look at the Roberts court in particular. And, you know, I was trying to explain this because I, I get I OK, I'm I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I am a idiot optimist. And in the sense that I, th- I think that if presented with the right information, you know, people will make the right choices because I'm 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 an idiot optimist. So I was talking with a friend and like my newest tactic was like, you know, Republicans don't care about abortion because like that's just the that's just the honey to get you to vote for things that are actually going to end up hurting you. Yep. So like you look at the the rulings uh, that the Roberts court in particular, and other courts too, like honestly, anytime there's been a conservative majority, even when there's not a conservative majority on the court, like corporations have gotten much more powerful, you know, worker protections have gotten so much weaker. You know, most of the things that conservatives have a legit um, beef about with our country can really be traced back to Republican policies and these courts that uphold these like terrible things that strip away, mm-hmm. you know, people's ability to defend themselves in court. And so like, like they've been passing this stuff on all along. You look at the voting record of these quote unquote pro-life justices and it's, it's repugnant what they've done. And yet we will vote for a Republican president because they do the Supreme court. And as if the Supreme court only exists to overturn Roe v. Wade and they do a lot of other shit and well, I mean, I feel like now we can just shut them down. Like, yeah. Mission accomplished, guys. We don't need you. Get yeah. out. Bye. And I almost wonder if they finally did it because they realize the tables are turning and they need to have this win, like the, the perpetual flywheel that's gone on since the 70s. Uh, the critical race theory, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's going to be the new thing. You know, and but that was part of this Texas legislature, too. Like it wasn't no, just know. abortion. It was. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. Like we're not going to allow teachers to teach history. You know, they have to teach approved Texas history, which um, I can't divulge too much about my work, but I have I have an understanding of how Texas develops its educational curriculum. And it is interesting. I'll just say that. Uh, and what students are allowed to learn and Texas what is, students are allowed to learn is like is the different. most horrifying like just phrase mm-hmm. is different than other states I can say that it, it, there was always a certain amount of whitewashing history that's a given but now it is overt and they're saying the quiet parts out loud and there's like in the and and anytime you call them on it they're like yeah so Yep. Like, um, you literally, you literally screamed at me about this for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh, well, you know, he, he fucked around, but he's still God's man. Like, mm-hmm. um, Bill Clinton would like a word motherfucker. Like what? Yeah. And it, it's just like every, but every single thing, like none of it counts. Nothing that we were told. Well, at least like the values that I thought I was supposed to walk away with, with like, love your neighbor right and take care of people doesn't seem super complicated like that the bar is actually quite low and um but no that's just nope we don't care about any of that stuff okay it's such a good trojan horse too as you said because right i mean when you press people in a bind and i remember being this way like and i've shared this on my show like you know it's the second bush election you know bush carry 
Um, I'm a year away from deconstructing, but I don't know it yet. I'm ready to vote for Kerry and other, you know, elders in my community are like, look, you can vote for whoever you want, but if you vote for Kerry, you're voting for the, the Holocaust of millions of unborn babies. And it's like, okay, yep. And so I get in the booth and it's like, you know, that single issue will lead you to voting mm -hmm. for that Republican person and our candidate. And as, as y'all said, it's like, if you can get folks to that single issue yep. and you can sort of, you know, just fear, fear them into uh, voting according to that one single issue, all of that libertarian corporate um, plunge, everyone except for the, the ultra rich, yeah. uh, it all goes unnoticed and who cares because mm -hmm. yeah. we need to see babies, right? Yeah. And so see how it works. It's, it's, and it's, you know, it, it does go back to the 60s. It's a, it's a counter-revolution to everything that happened in the 60s and the Kochs and, and mm -hmm. um, the Council for National Policy and the Heritage Foundation all of that comes from this direct thing. And they, they've, it's, they figured out a very ingenious, if not insidious strategy mm -hmm. to get it yeah. accomplished. Yeah. 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 And then when particularly um, poor white people get justifiably angry at the way these policies are shaking out, they just kind of point them to the nearest, you know, minority and say like, they're taking your jobs. It, you know, yeah. they're the ones taking your jobs. They're the they're ones causing all the, the healthcare. They're taking the healthcare they're spreading covid now you know that yeah, was that was the thing that was the new, latest thing in texas was like well now we got to deal with these immigrants because they're bringing in covid yeah. like nope no pretty sure all y'all running around on masks or are, are doing the covid just fine um and and so yeah it's just this clever like get us to vote for you because you care about babies who doesn't who i mean i mean who doesn't care yep, about babies exactly. i am obsessed with babies i'm not gonna you know, lie yeah uh but you know babies aren't fetuses anyway um <laughs> can this be a hashtag i know we're kind of over the hashtag <laughs> or, yeah. thing but babies aren't fetuses is fucking yeah. amazing or, yeah baby, fetuses are babies that'd be a better one yeah. <laughs> yeah they're not fetuses you know sorry uh but yeah it's just this clever shell game that once you get outside it's not clever anymore it's actually quite absurd mm -hmm. like why would mm -hmm. anyone believe this um yeah but and and democrats have problems too i i don't you know, we typically are targeting conservative Republicans because this is go home, Bobby, you're drunk. But just because we make fun of them because we used to be them doesn't mean we're completely oblivious to those similar kinds of tactics that happen. And, you know, on the liberal side of our politics, I do feel like personally that the conservative evangelical side of it, because they weave in religion, it becomes more abrasive and much or more brazen and mm -hmm. more, I think, mm -hmm. destructive. Like, yeah. I. One thing I love about being a more liberal person is that I think that liberals typically will stand by their principles over their people, sometimes to our detriment. Um, mm -hmm. When, mm -hmm. like I'll say Al Franken, for example, like when right. that stuff came out about Al Franken, it was kind of like, well, it's not that bad, but we want to be consistent with our principles. So he's got to go. Right. Right. Um, Republicans, on the other hand, if, if their person like Donald Trump has been anointed, like fuck our principles. I don't care about right. them. That's our mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. um, it's and God's so, guy. It's God's guy. You can't guy. question it. Yeah, you can't question it. So that, that is where I, I if I'm going to be, I would rather be a person of principle, even if that bites me sometimes, than a person mm -hmm. that stands by the party and the person to the detriment of my own health, the health of, of the planet, the health of my family, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the health of my spirituality even. 
Um, all of those things have gone down the drain in service to power. And, Mm -hmm. and as we've seen in the story of Job, as we've seen throughout this, the Bible, most of the things they cherish, uh, the Bible either stands against them in a positive way or stands against them in a negative way. Like Mm -hmm. they, they don't, this book is, it's not their foundation. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate. Well, and the way Job ends, I think really bears out everything you just said, Justin. So as you said, right, we have chapter one, um, God allows Satan to strike down all of Job's family and all of his possessions. Job, you know, um, tears his cloth and uh, sits and shaves his head and sits in the dirt. At some point, his wife comes out and is like, why don't you just curse God and die? Get it over with, Um, which is amazing. And um, this like biblical euthanasia business. Like death with dignity. Just tell God he's a motherfucker and go out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is like, um, yeah, like you know, finding I have a hangnail and my wife's just like, just curse God and die, dude. You don't. Why don't you just deal with it? Um, and so, you know, um, so as you said, Justin, the friends get involved, and and one way to look at Job, right, is they kind of put God on trial, and they're if God was just Job, what did you do wrong? You know, mm-hmm. there must be some reason. Mm-hmm. And basically at the end, God swoops in and he, and he says in, in verse 38, he says, uh, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Mm-hmm. Now th- check out verse three, gird up your loins like a man. This is God speaking to Job. I will question you and you shall declare to me. And then, and then God goes into these very famous in these very famous verses, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have an understanding. Who determined its measurements, right? And those are usually given this very positive spin. You'll see those on like, you know, uh, evangelical, or that's a, it's an inspiring verse. But it's from this, hey, Job, um, you put me on trial. Guess what? I'm God. That's the answer. I'm God. I do what I want. Where were you when I made the earth? I, I, I do what I want. If I need to kill children, I will. You don't question me. If I need to take all your shit away from you, you don't question me. Mm-hmm. My, and he even, and it's a masculine thing. Yeah. He's like, are you not, you're not man up to this. I'm, I'm God. I'm the ultimate masculinity. And mm-hmm. so what comes in here for me is just like, this is about, it's not about right and wrong. It's about power. And so yeah. if you have ultimate masculine God, who's like, you know why this is right? Not because it's moral, but because I'm right. Well, then you mm. go, right? Then you have your mm-hmm. bottle and you're off and running in that evangelical vein because it only continues from there. And Job, you know, by verse 42, eventually just has to sort of accept this um, that, you know, all right, God gets to do what God wants. And then God gives Job all the stuff back, right? It's mm-hmm. not because Job, you know, it's not because Job had done anything wrong in the first place. It's just he wasn't willing mm-hmm. to submit to the ultimate masculine force of the world, which is Yahweh. And, uh, and, and recognize his humiliation and his, his uh, surrender in a way that God liked. And so, hey, once you do that, I'll give you your stuff back. And it sounds a lot like our politics. It sounds mm-hmm. a lot like the patriarchal yep. um, you know, authoritarianism that we see rising mm-hmm. in, on the right side of our political spectrum. Yeah, it sounds like, a, like one of those like 10 steps to recognize a classic narcissist. Um, the way that God kind of gaslights Job and, you know, lavishes him with gifts and then takes them away and then, you know, like acts all hurt and defensive 
And then like, oh, you came back to me. Here's more gifts. Like this is like classic abuser, oh, narcissist uh-huh. behavior. This is uh-huh. this is not like healthy relationship by any definition. We wonder why evangelical churches are so abusive and fucked up. And it's like, look at this dude though. Like, look at, look at what God is doing here. Like they're just, they're just doing that. I don't even think they know it, right? They're just running the script that they have yeah. that's in front of them. And yeah, it's just, it's extremely abusive. It's almost entirely manipulative, like very, like good faith or not, it's emotionally manipulative. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a cluster. Yeah, I think that's going to be my response now. Whenever I see an evangelical Christian that's like, oh, another man fell, like what's happening? I'm like, look at your God. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, look at you. Like, they're actually a pretty good representation of who your God is. And I would say like the abusive pastors that are famous now and getting podcasts made about them, like if if I just kind of look at the book of Job, I'm like, yeah, like oh. they're mm-hmm. actually they are a biblical leader. Like it doesn't mean they're leaders, but not they mean, are. doesn't mean they're good or healthy or should ever be given power, but they you know they fit the script. Yeah. Well, like like, you know, God Yahweh approaches Abram in you know Genesis 12 and is like, hey, you do this stuff. I give you this stuff. I got power. I'll be your sugar daddy. If you need Mm -hmm. things, I'll give them to you. And in response, you give me ultimate loyalty. And in the book of Hosea, right? Like Israel has Mm. been quote unquote unfaithful by worshiping Baal and other gods. And, you know, God tells Hosea, they are like an adulterous wife. And so I'm going to take them out to wilderness, strip them naked and abuse them in front of everybody, because that is what they deserve. And you, you, and, and so when, when, when the Lord answers Job in, in chapter 38, and is like, gird up your loins like a man, right? To me, it, it just brings back all that Hosea business. And um, that, that sort of gender stuff comes back in where it's like, I am right. The, the monotheistic monogamous husband here. And if you question me at all, mm-hmm. you're wrong. Not because I, it's just you questioning me is wrong and I'm going to punish you until you see that. And there's just, that's not healthy. It's gross. It's toxic. It's abusive. It's just, you know what I mean? And it, 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 you can see how it all sort of models itself. As you're saying, the the pastor who is bearing those traits is almost biblical in nature in some, in some reading. Right. And, and I find it so, it's interesting how the the weird conspiracy yarn walls that I remember having to do to try to get around that as yeah. as someone who is evangelical but also very much drawn to the ideals of love, very much drawn to the ideals of empathy and equity, and you know that that is why I stayed in the church so long because I and I still see that I still find a lot of hope and and good in liberation and liberation theology and um, even though I'm not in the church necessarily anymore. That's, that's what I held on to for a long time, but you do have to create this very elaborate, almost like in in the opposite direction, conspiracy theory, kind of weird, like, well, God didn't mean this here. And he did mean this here. And, and even though it sounds harsh in Job, God's actually being really loving uh, because I have to uphold this idea that, that God is empathetic and the universe is good because if I don't, then I have to face like, big concepts of things like death and existential meaning. And I don't want to do that. So like it, it, either way, you're not really doing the, 
the this book that you say you care about uh any amount of um you're not approaching it with any amount of intellectual honesty if you can't go like yeah this today as we understand morality as we understand Mm -hmm. human psychology this is abhorrent behavior on the of of a deity and Mm -hmm. and this particular version of this deity i have a moral responsibility to stand against um you know and things that jesus says for the most part i can jive with but when jesus like says things that are i think morally abhorrent today i have to stand against those too if i'm going to be a person of integrity and i'm going to be a person that uh, actually does good in the world instead of upholds this like well this book is it has to be good um then you're just defending the book you're not defending people anymore you're not defending fetuses anymore you're defending your understanding of this book and that's that's i don't know at a certain point that's just sad to me mm-hmm. well and, and i'm sure we all have friends who are still i mean i know we do who are still in the church or in the tradition somehow and the difference is is they're willing to take a critical look at scripture and say hey if we're going to be people of faith we have to reckon with the the, the difficult parts of our of our text as we take the really beautiful and wondrous parts. And we're just going to have to take the good with the bad rather than this um, inerrantist, you know, sort of approach that says the Bible is errorless and you just have to make it all work, even though, you know, this is a system that's supposed to supposed to go together. And, and every time you try, you get to Book of Job, Book of Hosea, Book of, you know, wherever. And it's like, this is not working. Um, but you try to you try to make it fit. And instead, you you can, as a Christian, take a much more nuanced, complex reading and recognize the difficulties in certain aspects of Scripture and uh, recognize that you as a community and as an individual are going to have to sort of find a way to, to, uh, to negotiate with those if you're going to claim these books and texts as your Scriptures. But to me, that's like, okay, I'm good. Let's do it. I'll have that conversation. That's great. When it's the inerrantist, like, no. Uh, there's no, there's no a possibility of criticizing the the word of God in any way. Then it's like, I, uh, I've done it. I, we, you know, I think all three of us tried it for decades, and it just, yeah. it does not work. Yeah. The last couple of years in ministry, I was, I had, I was deconstructing very quickly. But I, when I dropped in errancy, man, it was great. Like Bible made sense, and my preaching got better, my teaching got better. Yep. My ability to, you know, speak to people about like be conversant about what the Bible means and and to steer clear of the parts that were shit. Like I'm just not gonna, um, I'm not gonna preach that. Sorry. Like, you know, one I'll get fired if I'm really honest about this passage. <laughs> so we're just gonna like why why focus on it? Um, it's in there. That was then. This is now, and we've moved on. Um, yeah. You know, and and I, I would say those were the best years of ministry. Certainly, I think produced the most health amongst the people I was paid to provide spiritual care to. Um, but secretly, I was a heretic apostate <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't buy inerrancy anymore. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I think that this really comes back to like what we were talking about when we were talking about prison breaks, like. Mm-hmm. Just systems are always more important than people in, in that framework. Right. And it's like, you got to protect the system at all costs. And so this is, again, like, this is kind of like the script that they are running, whether or not they acknowledge it or, or are aware of it, which, you know, maybe they aren't. And that 
all of us do that to some extent. Right. Um, but yeah, the idea that like, we need to protect God from trans people, right? Like, come on, seriously, is that what we're doing? Like God's scared. That's, that's what you're going with. Um, but I mean, I think what, what I think is really funny. Um, and Brad, I know that you talk about this a lot, but it's the whole idea of like the, the like masculine, like male, whatever headship, quote unquote, whatever the fuck that means. And like, you have to have a nuclear family, right? You have to have a structure that is very easy to control, right? Because you don't have to deal with anybody else. You have, you deal with the one dude, right? And you cut the one dude off from his whole extended family. Yep. Because we need little worker bees for capitalism who can move around at the drop of a hat. Yep. And we look at this structure, we're like, this is how God made it. Like, it wasn't like this 150 years ago, you guys. Like, this wasn't sustainable. This was not a thing you could do. <laughs> it yeah. just wasn't yeah yeah and this is like where the living memory comes in like <laughs> like the nuclear family as we understand it today was made up in like the 1950s it's the traditional family okay, okay like the, come on the, the, and it's in the bible you're just not reading it right yeah i mean <laughs> but like we didn't even have under God and the Pledge of Allegiance until the 1950s either. But like all of that's a sudden, why God cursed us. That's why, you know, apparently that's why we had a civil war or whatever. You know, <laughs> no, we won World War II before we had, you know, under God and the pledge. So yeah, yeah. anyway, um, just using their own I'm rhetoric. Drinking. Yeah. Oh, you're about uh, done. Oh, gosh. I'm about done with my drink. Uh, that's yeah. how some of these episodes go. <laughs> yeah, because it's it. it I don't understand. I, I maybe I'll be like this too, mm. but will I forget what life? Well, I I'll probably will forget what life was like before cell phones and the pandemic. But um, will I just forget that we didn't used to think this? You know, mm. when it comes to you know abortion or you know the nuclear family, yeah. like, like I mean, we well we think slavery is the ancient history, but there are people who's like in living memory whose grandparents were slaves, like yes. even today. So. Yeah. Um, as humans, obviously we have short memories, but it, it's just, it is so strange to me how we, the system we find ourselves in today, like we can go back and pretty easily trace how it was completely made up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh yeah, not traditional at all. Like absolutely manufactured. <laughs> um, like, like no one but, no one you know, yeah. gave engagement rings back in the ancient near east but like somehow we think like oh this is how you have to you know and it was a camel so same yeah, same we, they, we did buy brides back then so <laughs> um it, but yeah it just like we created this thing whole cloth and then now if you try to if you dare question it it's like mm-hmm. oh you're this you know socialist communist atheist right people. you're like anti-america you're anti-american yeah if you right? critique america that you're anti-american. wild to me and yeah if you critique the nuclear family you're anti-america mm-hmm. yeah. right you're, yeah. you're anti-morality yeah. because they have that kind of lockdown and nobody else has access to yeah. morality um but yeah it is really fascinating the way they kind of weaponize this stuff um to it's like it's our way or the highway and we're going to make your life hell if you don't do what we say mm-hmm. meaning we're going to ban abortion we're going to cut every single social safety net that we can and we're going to have massive inflation for a couple of people so they get a lot of money and everybody else can just go fuck themselves um 
and and it's all like oh yeah this is what god would do and it's like yeah in some chapters probably <laughs> probably is what he would do um that sucks sorry sorry you're into that guy um especially when there's better versions of him in other books and chapters yeah like yeah. you're choosing the shitty ones on purpose exactly. that's what exactly. you're taking literally yeah that's right that's right and I mean, and it goes back to what you said uh, to me when you, what you said earlier, Tori, is, is to me the like the key, to the, the engine to all this, which is if you can if you can break off individual units yeah. and have like, you know, the male patriarch as the head of the, the household, that male patriarch is is also cut off from other um, sources of authority. So like I think of my own family and, you know, Japanese American from Hawaii, like I grew up calling everybody an uncle. I had like 50 aunt uncles. I have, I, 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 and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I, I was in high school until I really kind of figured out who was actually related to me and who wasn't. Um, and you know, there was also this sort of general Confucian sensibility about our family where there was just this reverence for the elder and for, right. And so what does that do? Well, if you have that kind of intergenerational dispersed authority structure, you don't have the one male head who can be like, it's right. Cause I said, it's right. You know what I mean? And so the the nuclear family accomplishes a lot. As you said, capitalist workers, we can move from Ohio to California to Florida anytime there's a new job. So we're mobile. We're at the, the disposal of this like free market sort of system to be little worker bees that make the thing go. And then we instill the, the authority structure of the patriarch. And then like 1950s onward is when we get the the non-denominational community megachurch. And, you know, that pastor is just the same thing, cut off from all other denominational ties. One guy, my way or the highway, get on board. I'm appointed. And, and like, it just, you can start to see the blueprint from family to church. And it just, it, it functions in such an insidious, but powerful, powerful way. Yeah. This, this atomization of yes people yeah. Yeah. has, has I, honestly, I would say every problem in America can be traced back to racism. And I would say almost all of them can also be traced back to this atomization or at least modern. Oh problems, yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, like everyone's separate, you know, like even little things like climate change, like what are the solutions that we always propose? Like, well, we need to get people recycling and we need to get people to drive smaller cars. And, right. you know, if you just go green, if you, nuclear family just go green then we'll solve this problem like no like like if you go after these corporations that are producing like with 60 to 80 percent of the waste yes. uh -huh. like i don't have to do anything right like <laughs> like make them responsible for their stuff yeah so like and so and you can you can put that on almost all issues you know when it comes to you know you know unionizing like we don't have unions anymore it's so now the corporation is like you get yours now like you know it's a it's a very doggy dog world it's mm -hmm. very like you know you don't have friends anymore at the office you know at, at large some large corporations because right. like that's a potential you know that person could get dirt on you that person you know yeah yeah and, it's competition and also like you're gonna leave so who cares yeah, you're not you're, here to make friends you're here to like move up the corporate ladder yeah you're and, a dis disposable person right and, and so like all this atomization, it's an atomization of power too. And yes. so when we do that, it's now like, well, whoever has the most money has the most power and yeah. well, yes. it's not you guys anymore. So we get to do what we want. 
you know, the wealthy and power get full, get to do whatever they want. And then we're over here, like, you know, trying to recycle to save the world and <laughs> it's not going to work. I still do it. Right, it's I, not that we've given up. Like, <laughs> but it does feel like very Sisyphean to like try to do, you know, drive a smaller car or take oh shorter God. showers to like oh save, the, like, save no. the planet. It's like, yeah, and the, the U.S. military is the largest produ- like producer of CO2 on the planet. And it's like, yeah, but just, just get an electric car, sweetie, and it'll be fine. Yeah, yep. you know, and yep. they'll drive their Humvees and, <laughs> and secure o- more oil because we need that. You know. God, I yeah. can't. I can't. I do want to take I... somebody by the collar and like shake them a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Like um, an Exxon executive, maybe. You know, but even Job, if you like, let's trying to bring it back to Job, like he had a big ass family and a ton of people around him. Yeah. Like, so even like this idea of a nuclear family, you know, he's still connected in his community and has like adult friends like that he can sit around the fire with and they're assholes, but you know, they're still his people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so like, even the idea of having a people is, mm. is, you know, is difficult and it's yeah. the internet has has created a lot of opportunities for us to create that kind of community right but there's you know, no proximity still yeah there's still and no I proximity think that, that matters it does like yeah as much as i love all my internet friends i think that proximity is is also important just you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. evolutionary biology or whatever but mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's it's way easier to find your people but it's way harder to actually ever spend time with them yeah mm-hmm. Do you have friends who on a, on a Wednesday pop over to your house, you know, to drop something off and end up having dinner. Right. Or, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like, you you know, like you think of the, the, the times when it's like, Hey, my, my my friend lives in the neighborhood. I saw them walking the dog. We ended up having a drink on the porch. Right. Like those kinds of friendships are just when you're in your thirties and forties, it's just like, that sounds like a myth. That doesn't sound real. You know, I got to go get on discord or, uh, on Twitter to, to talk to somebody, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it, it's, it is a, it's like a very methadone substitute for <laughs> friendship. Like it works. Yep. Yep. It, it, right. I, and I don't like, I mean, I'm sitting with two of you and I, I love being here and I love, I love the, you know, the friendships that we can have, but it, it is also, it's very like, uh, like yeah i wish yeah. i had a, i wish i had neighbors as cool as you yeah, yeah. like yeah. um <laughs> well this was hopeful thanks for inviting me yeah um yeah uh, <laughs> we, we, we definitely leaned into the into the you're drunk part uh, um, i i will say this to try to land it on something hopeful even though it feels very bleak um i do think that more people are waking up to the cynicism of a lot of these um, organizations, whether it's evangelical Christianity, mm-hmm. the Republican Party, capitalism. I, yeah, I, I don't know that it's something we'll see in our lifetime. And I do worry sometimes if power has been atomized to the point where we can't get together and make a change. That is a concern. Um, but I, I do find a lot of hope in the idea that very few people are going around trying to make Job the basis of their family anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And 
are turning to science and turning to psychology and and leaving churches and not putting their money towards that anymore um and i i I do wonder what's going to happen next but i do find i do find a certain sense of optimism in that yeah absolutely i agree yep hope is hard necessary yeah Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned sisyphus earlier and you know the end of the myth, you know, Camus says at the end of that book, you know, you have to, we have to imagine Sisyphus happy. And I don't know about happy, but I think we need to imagine Sisyphus hopeful, you know, at, at a baseline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That is the, there's some meaning in this, even though it, it feels utterly yeah. meaningless at times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Where can people find you, Brad? <laughs> Do you want Hope people I- to find you? Hope Avenue, uh, Main, Main <laughs> Full Street, up. USA. Um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'm where do you a, work? A, yeah. What's your office I, number? <laughs> um, so I'm on Twitter, Bradley Onishi. Um, uh, our show's on, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at StraightWhiteJC. And uh, those are the best places to find me. And we, we publish shows, numerous shows every week. We have a weekly roundup on Fridays. Um, Good we're doing to listen um yeah. he's mild at heart uh love sex and masculinity after purity culture so mm-hmm. um getting to tell everyone all the embarrassing stories of uh, what happened um you know after i got divorced in my 20s and tried to pretend that i knew what i was doing when i um went back into the dating world so um that's also pretty bleak if y'all are in the mood for some of that um so doing that and we also do ex-evangelical apologetics so that's fun so we we provide answers for your uncle ron at the barbecue who's spewing all kinds of ridiculous stuff so anyway that's what we're doing that's that's the people's work i've decided to stop saying it's the lord's work it's the people's work yes this is the work of the people for sure yes yes absolutely yep so you can find uh this podcast well, obviously you've listened this long, so you've found us. Thank you for finding us. Uh, if you want more of uh, from us, uh, we are on Instagram and Twitter at Go Home Bible. Um, we are also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Go Home Bible. If you are able to financially support us, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, you can also get ad-free episodes, a couple little treats and stickers and whatnot, uh, as well as some additional content from us from time to time. Uh, I am on Twitter as well, uh, Justin D. Gentry, also on Instagram. Tori is also on Twitter at, at Tori, Tori Glass. At Tori Glass. At, at Tori Glass. Yeah, Twitter, um, Twitter and Instagram. So, yeah, this was us. I uh, had a great time. Thank you so much, Brad, for coming on, hanging out with us for a little mm-hmm. bit. And, talk. you know, honestly, for, for Job, we laughed a lot more. Yeah, we did great. I, you know, we like, did great for Job. I Joe. feel like... You know, you got to throw Job out there, and I had a good time, and so I feel like mission accomplished for sure. That's I actually have that tattooed on my back for a good time called Job. Um, and so um, that was a that was a mistake uh, that I made, but um, there's no erasing it now. So yeah, right, um, tattoo removal doesn't exist. It does. Yeah. Oh my I god. Just, I'm I'm still raising money for that, so we'll see. Um, <laughs> Brad will have a Patreon as well. Remove my tattoos. Yes, you need to go support Brad on Patreon yeah. so you can get rid of some of these questionable tattoo choices. Right, right below the Gettysburg Address. He's, ha- the- he's having a hard time getting employed, you guys. Yeah, lower yeah, back, lower back, Gettysburg Address, upper back, 
for a good time called Job. So it's nice. just a real, it's a real thing back there. Yeah. So, all right. <laughs> I love it. All right. Okay. Well, with those, those thoughts, we're going to leave you. Uh, yep. We love you all. Have a great week. We'll see you. Bye. Bye. Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.